The Veritas Radio Network is guaranteed the right to offend, annoy, agitate, shout heresy, and entertain. You should start programming right now. Kind of like the cultural sewage served up on Bravo or CMT, only it's on 24 hours a day, except Sundays. When the truth gets you angry and you throw your smartphone, remember, no one is forcing you to listen to the truth on the Veritas Radio Network. You can't handle the truth. You're doing that of your own free will. That's what makes this country great and any gay marriage pointless. That's offensive. So there isn't much you can do about it, Chotterhead. I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Grab a book, take a vow, and conform your mind to reality. Reality. Otherwise, you're just another Judas-inspired Karl Marx wannabe. And your children will steal your credit card number to buy tickets to the Miley Cyrus Twerkers Ball. I came in like a Are you ready? Let's get it on. On the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade. Welcome to the Philosophy of Penennis live classroom and chat room here on Wednesday, November the 29th, 2017. I'm your moderator, Mike Church, host of the Mike Church Show, heard every weekday morning from 6 to 11 a.m. Central Time right here on the Crusade Channel. King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers. We are going to cover De Homine, lecture number 29 tonight. And it is a uh, lengthy, detailed lecture. If you'd like to join us and you want to learn and get as much out of uh, tonight's class as you can, please visit my website at mikechurch.com. And at the top of the page, you will see scrolling, if you let it scroll enough, the link to the Dahomey homepage. If not, you can just click the Catholicism uh, menu tab. And then under that, Philosophia Pudenis, and it'll be the top menu item. Click on that item, and then when you get to that uh, that page, the chat room is about halfway down the page, and you don't have to be a member or anything. You just click the login button, and uh, bammo, you're in. So, uh, Dahomey Lecture number 29, we are now joined live from uh, the St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire, by Brother Andre Marie, who is uh, going to be leading our instruction tonight. Brother, uh, how are you this fine uh, southeast Louisiana late fall evening that's more like a early spring well I, I, I'm well except I'm not experiencing any of those conditions <laughs> well it's not hot up there e- I mean it's not cold there either is it no it's not cold here either it's actually pleasant outside yeah I've been watching the uh, uh, it, the weather channels about the only channel that I'm left with that I, where my sensibilities aren't offended so I've been, I watched the Weather Channel all day long, and I've been watching these uh, patterns that they're demonstrating. That, and uh, the the program that they've been running with here in late November of 2017 is, where's the cold? 
<laughs> people are asking, where's the cold? Anyways, uh, it's never cold in the Dehomenay uh, classroom and chat room. Uh, do we have notes for tonight? No, we have no notes um, because my supplier of notes, uh, who who recently uh, moved and and um, has had a lot going on in his life, hasn't been keeping up uh, with the notes. He, the latest he got us, you know, I tell you what, we don't really need them, and I'll tell you why, because Brother Francis was uh, in this lecture. First of all, he didn't spend any time talking about the Psalms at all. All his time was spent talking about um, the Summa, and he covered an unusually large amount of ground in the Summa. He sure so did. So what, what I'm going to post in the, in the chat room for everyone who's interested is um, the link to, the, to, the, to um, the part of the Summa that we're going to talk about. And I think I have a modus operandi, Mike. I was thinking about this today as I was reading... Reading St. Thomas and thinking, how the heck are we going to do this? <laughs> um, I think the best thing to do is for me, is for us to, to go through. By the way, Brother pointed us to one question in the Summa. Now, the question, which is the perfection of the angels in the order of grace and glory, that question is 62 in the, in the um, I think it's in the Prima. And um, there are nine. Um, articles in it. Wow. Brother did not cover all nine. He covered, thank God, he covered three. So, um, what? and I listened to it a couple times today, and and then I read um, all the all the um, section of the Summa that he covered, and I was thinking, gee, how am I going to do this? Um, and I think the best thing for me to do is to just quickly summarize each question and, and hop to the... Um, Hop to the I answer, hop to the said contra, and then the I answer that, and read that in each case. Read that in all three of them. And then we can like field questions. Okay. And if there's any time left over from that, we can go back and go through the objections and the replies to the objections. Okay. I don't know that St. Thomas himself would approve of this methodology, but <laughs> he's not here right now, at least not so that he can speak about it. So, um,. Well, folks are about to get a, cr a crash course on angel theology. <laughs> yeah, which is known as angelology. Angel okay, so angelology, and um, uh, it sounded to me, anyways, like Brother had uh, spent some significant time pondering that question and studying it. So let's get right to it, Brother. Okay, so it, yeah, it's no accident that St. Thomas is called the angelic doctor. Um, part of it is because he had, he had such a great command of the theology of the angels. Um, all right, so it's question 62, the perfection of the angels in the order of grace and glory. Um, and then we cover three um, articles. The first is, were the angels created in beatitude? The second is, did they need grace in order to turn to God? And the third is, were they created in grace? So what I want to do is, in each case, I want to summarize what is the actual question. What does this question even mean? And when I'm saying question, I don't mean it technically as St. Thomas did. 62 is the question, and, and it comprises nine articles. But each of the articles is framed in terms of what we would call a question. Okay. So um, the first one, the first article is, were the angels created in beatitude? What is that even asking? 
um, beatitude here, of course, means means blessedness. In other words, partaking of the beatific vision. And I think a lot of people have a misconception about the angels, that in a sense they were created in the beatific vision. They were in what we would call heaven, not just the skies, but they were actually in heaven, partaking of the beatific vision, enjoying the bliss of heaven, and that's where they fell from. That is not true. Um, like us, the angels were created with a nature that is that is proper to themselves. Okay, so just a little bit of a reality check here. We call our we we, we are human. We have human nature. Uh, relative to us, God is supernatural. Relative to us, the angels are preternatural. In other words, they're coming from the Greek word for before. Okay. Their, their, their nature comes before ours in the sense of it's, it's higher. But we don't use the word super because we apply supernatural to God. So they're preternatural, meaning that they're, they're, they're both antecedent to us in their creation uh, and before us, and they're also higher than us in, in dignity, naturally speaking. So, but relative to themselves, angels are natural, right? The whole question of what's natural and what's supernatural or what's preternatural is quite literally relative. Um, uh, relative to my dog, I'm preternatural, okay? <laughs> I, I have a higher nature, an antecedent nature to his, because we were created before the before at least well, we were created higher in, in the food chain, as it were, than than the brute animals. So and actually, we were created antecedent to them as well. So um, those animals, uh, to, relative to them, relative to the doggies and the kitties and so forth, we're we're of a higher nature, huh? But but relative to ourselves, we're natural. Other humans are natural; they share the same nature. So I, I just want to make that clear that these are relative terms. So when we talk about what's natural to an angel, that doesn't necessarily mean it's also natural to us. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, the what this question is asking then, were the angels created in beatitude, is were they created essentially in glory? Were they created in heaven, seeing the beatific vision? Um, and the answer is no, they were not. So... Um, Let's let's see what St. Thomas says. Okay. Uh, let's go to the said contra. On the contrary, to be established or confirmed in good is of the nature of beatitude, but the angels were not confirmed in good as soon as they were created. The fall of some of them shows this. Therefore, the angels were not in beatitude from their creation. And what is he saying in this argument? He's saying that to be established or confirmed in good is in the nature of beatitude. In other words, beatitude by its by its nature is such that it can't be lost. The beatific vision is such that when you have that summum bonum, when you have that greatest good, it wouldn't be the greatest good if you could lose it. You wouldn't have that perfect happiness if it could go away. I mean, we've maybe all we've all experienced being on vacation mm -hmm. and enjoying a vacation. I'm going to give a very worldly example here. B enjoying a vacation, 
but but in the back of your mind you know that as the days go by it's coming to an end and there's a little note of sadness there now i might be the only one here to experience that kind of thing but i doubt it so there's some there's some limited happiness that we can have in this life and we always know that it can be taken away it can stop it'll stop it'll cease but the very nature of beatitude is such that for it to be perfect happiness it has to be endless there can't be any looming threat of its being lost. So that's St. Thomas's argument. It's the nature of it that we're establishing the perfect good. Uh, but the angels weren't confirmed in the good. Why? Well, because some of them lost it. So that's his, that's his example. Therefore, the angels were not in beatitude from their creation. Now, in the, in the um, Respondeo, he goes into more detail on this. I answer that by the name of beatitude is understood the ultimate perfection or of rational or the intellectual nature. And hence it is that it is naturally desired, since everything naturally desires its ultimate perfection. Now there is a twofold ultimate perfection of rational or of intellectual nature. Now he, he's he's covering himself here when he says or intellectual because keep in mind angels aren't rational because reason implies um, uh, discursive reason from point to point whereas angels are angelic and are they are intellectual but they're not rational they don't have to reason from point to point like we do okay they don't they don't under they don't undergo or, or, or carry out the discursive process of reasoning they simply intuit truth directly. Okay, so um, the ultimate perfection of the rational creature uh, is twofold, he says. The first is uh, one, which can procure, one which it can procure of its own natural power, and this is in a measure called beatitude or happiness. Hence, Aristotle, in the Ethics, says that man's ultimate happiness consists in his most perfect contemplation, whereby in this life he can behold best he can behold the best intelligible object, and that is God. Okay, so he establishes on the authority of Aristotle, interestingly, this is about the highest that Aristotle can go, um, a sort of natural contemplation of God, which the angels could engage in using their angelic nature. Not to see God in the face, but to contemplate God's truth, contemplate the truth that is God, according to how they can know him by nature. Now, we too, as humans, and Arist citing Aristotle on this very question is kind of a proof of it, but we too as humans can, without uh, the aid of revelation, know some truth about God and contemplate that truth. And many of the philosophers did. But that's not the same. Okay, so going on, that's not the same as heaven. Above the, Now he's going to talk about heaven. Above this happiness... There is still another which we look forward to in the future, whereby we shall see God as he is. He's quoting St. Paul here. This is beyond the nature of every created intellect, as we have shown above. So it's above the nature of every created intellect, which includes, of course, the angelic intellect. Um, even if God had created the highest possible uh, uh, seraph, um, it still wouldn't in wouldn't by nature be able to see God because to understand God to see God as He is is itself a divine thing. 
So you have to have a participation in the divine nature. You have to be elevated above your nature. Even the angels who are preternatural regarding us, relative to us, even the angels have to have an elevation of their nature in order to behold God face to face. Now St. Thomas concludes, So then, it remains to be said that as regards the first beatitude, in other words, that sort of natural beatitude that even we can have on this earth, the first beatitude which the angel could procure by his natural power, he was created already blessed. But the angel does not acquire such beatitude by any progressive action as man does, but, as was observed above, is straight away in possession thereof, owing to his natural dignity. In other words, this, this, this tremendous intellect that he has and his ability to intuit truth directly. But the angels did not have from the beginning of their creation that ultimate beatitude, which is beyond the power of nature, because such beatitude is no part of their nature, but its end. In other words, it's not part of their nature, but it's, it, it's the end of their nature. And consequently, they ought not to have it immediately from the beginning. Okay, so immediately from the beginning, the angels uh, did not have the beatific vision. They, they were not created in beatitude. All right, do we have any questions on that before we move on? Because I want to go to the next one. Is there any creature that there's no, so there's no creature that is created in beatitude then, right? No. Okay. No creature is created in beatitude. Our Lady wasn't, the angels weren't, St. Michael wasn't, none, none of them, none of them, none of them, none of them. That, so actually some of the questions that you, you, you can see as we proceed, you will see or should see as we proceed, that these questions are sort of dependent upon each other. They're sort of, they sort of flow from each other. There's a, an, a, a progressive logic that joins them together. So Article 2 is this whether an angel needs grace in order to turn to God. So the natural question that we ask ourselves about the, the angels is, okay, if they weren't created in beatitude, if they were created in quote-unquote heaven, and I'm saying quote-unquote heaven, not, not to be a cynic and cast uh, uh, doubt on the reality of heaven, I'm saying quote-unquote heaven because relative to us, they're already in heaven. They, they, they inhabit, you know... Um, a, a, a realm which we don't inhabit. They're not on this earth. But when I talk about heaven in the highest sense, we're talking about, as St. Augustine speaks of it, the heaven of heavens, which is the Lord's. In other words, it's not just the sky. It's not just some upper region of creation. It's that dwelling place, which is also a state of beatitude, whereby the blessed, whether angelic or human, see the divine nature face-to-face -face as he is. Okay, that's, that's what I mean by heaven here. So in that sense, the angels weren't created in heaven. And since they weren't created in heaven, since they weren't created in beatitude, then the question becomes, well, what's nature to them, and do they need grace? Or is the angelic nature itself sufficient that it can enter beatitude if they just, you know, merit and do good. So, whether an angel needs grace in order to turn to God. Again, I'm going to skip to the said contra and then go into the respondeo. On the contrary, it was by turning to God 
that the angel reached to beatitude. If then he needed no grace in order to turn to God, it would follow that he did not require grace in order to possess everlasting life. But this is contrary to the saying of the apostle in Romans 6.23, the grace of God is life everlasting. So he's, 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 confirm, he's affirming that the angels themselves need grace in order to turn to God. No, he's not saying in order to be in, in order to go to heaven. He's saying to turn to God. Okay, I answer that. The angels stood in need of grace in order to turn to God as the object of beatitude. For as was observed above, the natural movement of the will is the principle of all things that we will. But the will's natural inclination is directed towards what is in keeping with its nature. Therefore, if there is anything which is above nature, the will cannot be inclined towards it unless helped by some other supernatural principle. So, just take a break there. Relative to the angels, God is supernatural. Just, just as God is supernatural relative to us. To behold, the divine, to behold God face to face is the proper provenance of God alone. It is not proper to any creature. And when I say proper, in other words, it doesn't flow from his nature. It's not a property that a human being would have, naturally speaking. Essentially, to be human does not include partaking of the divine nature and seeing the divine nature face to face. Essentially, to be an angel does not include partaking of the divine nature and being able to see God face to face. So, Relative to both the human nature and the angelic nature, partaking of the divine nature and seeing God face to face is supernatural. Okay, so continuing on, therefore, there, uh, if there is anything which is above nature, the will cannot be inclined towards it unless it be helped by some other supernatural principle. Thus, it is clear that fire has a natural tendency to give forth heat and to generate fire, whereas to generate flesh is beyond the natural power of fire. Consequently, fire has no tendency thereto, except insofar as it is moved instrumentally by the nutritive soul. And, yeah, that's a complicated argument based upon the science of the day, but I think what he's saying is that sunlight, which is the principle of all of the energy that we have on Earth, um, uh, doesn't normally produce flesh. But, but when... But when um, Hmm. But when we have the instrumentality of the human soul at work, the sunlight can produce flesh. Don't ask me to explain it. This is medieval science, and I'm not a science, and I'm not a 21st century scientist, much less a medieval one. Um, continuing, now it was shown above when we were treating of God's knowledge that to see God in His essence wherein the ultimate beatitude of the rational creature consists, is beyond the nature of every created intellect. Consequently, no rational creature can have the movement of the will directed towards such beatitude, except it be moved thereto by a supernatural agent. This is what we call the help of grace. Therefore, it must be said that an angel could not of his own will be turned to such beatitude, except by the help of grace." So then, the, so then the answer is yes to, to, to the question, uh, again, um, Article 2, the question is whether an angel needs grace in order to turn to God. The answer is yes, because turning to God 
in in the way of of seeking him with the will so as to 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 partake of his life to partake of the divine life that requires grace again we're not talking about the angels had a natural knowledge of god just as we can without the aid of grace have a natural knowledge of god we're not talking about that we're talking about being moved to god in a way that we we actually see him and know him as he is that requires grace yeah. So that's Article 2. Just one more article to go, Mike. Well, brother, I'm thinking out loud here, and this is the Philosophy of Perennis Live Classroom and Chat Room, lecture number 29 of the De Homine, uh, About Man is what that means from the Latin About Man series. Uh, you can download the entire series and start your De Homine education at Catholicism.org. Please make sure you send Brother Andre Marie an email or a Twitter note and asking him for the Crusade Channel discount so he can give you a discount on this. And uh, I think once you start studying the homine, you'll start to realize that I must have missed some courses previous to this. <laughs> so then you're going to want to go and take the full philosophy of Perennis, which you can also get at Catholicism.org. And I suggest that you start with the eight introductory lectures, which are free, don't cost nothing. And uh, you can download them um, on the site at Catholicism.org. Right, I'm just thinking as we uh, get to the uh, near the end of the second question here in this discussion, and that uh, so the angels needed grace in order to, to get to the uh, beatific vision. Um, were there any? It's too bad that St. Thomas wasn't born in the 16th century, because then maybe he could answer the question if there were any angels that were saved by faith alone or by Scripture alone. <laughs> well, of course, Scripture would have been superfluous to an angel. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, well, that depends that, on his uh, opinion, brother. Now, now uh, you've got to leave it up to each individual angel to forge his own way, as long as he has a personal relationship with God. That's it, I'm being facetious. Yeah, of course, of course. The, the whole economy of salvation of the angel is something that's very different than the economy of salvation of, 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 of a man. And the fact that they fell instantly by making one bad decision shows you the difference between the angelic and the human nature. You know, and brother, uh, I mean, uh, brother Andre, maybe you can answer this question, so I'll ask a question. Brother has said... He's lectured many times. This is coming up in both the Almanac and in Philosophy of Perennis. And uh, he talks about mortal sin, and uh, he, he, he talks about the need for uh, humility and contrition and you know, the actual act of contrition or reconciliation and all that. Uh, but he says, whenever he talks about this, that it only took the angels one sin to be cast from the beatific vision, to be cast from heaven. Is there a difference between the qualifications that man needs or and, and what the angels need? I mean, are the angels held, does St. Thomas answer this? Are they held to a higher standard? Well, in that regard, sure, they were held to a higher standard because of the nature of the angelic intellect, which isn't dimmed at all by, by the flesh. I mean, you have to remember that, naturally speaking, angels are superior to humans. And, right, and they're created, and they have no need for reproduction. They have no need to, they can't. They're, 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 they're made. They're, there's no angels running around seeking... Um, uh, and they don't have angel babies. They don't have angel babies, right. 
So the the, uh, the you know there's no mommy angels and daddy angels. They're 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 they're, they're uh, sexless creatures, um, but they do have um, and and each angel, according to Saint Thomas, because of that, is his own species. Um, and that's yeah, that's that's something that people can't wrap their heads around. I'm not going to get into that, but but each each angel, according to Saint Thomas, is his own species, and they're organized into the nine choirs. But um, but every angel, so there's a hierarchy even among the angels. But all angels, even even the lowest of that choir, the lowest of that low choir called the angels. Um, so we got the angels, like angels, um, angels, like angels, principalities, powers, virtues, dominions, cherubim, and seraphim. I don't know if I just rattled off nine or if I'm missing one. Dominions I might have missed. But um, there are nine choirs of angels, and they are arranged hierarchically. And with each one of the choirs, there there are multiple individuals, but each individual constitutes his own species. Wow! And they don't they don't procreate. They're they're each created directly by God, with without any um, con creation on the part of, of of parents. So their relationship with each other is different. They don't they don't come in families. Um, and the uh, but but the angelic nature is higher than man, and their 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 intellect beholds truth directly, and the and the will is because of that because it's a direct intuition of truth, they either purely will that good or purely um, will against it. In the case of Satan and the fallen angels, when when God's plan. Uh, when, when the economy of uh, salvation for man and the incarnation and the Blessed Virgin and so forth was all revealed to them, they rebelled. Right. And St. Michael and the good angels uh, um, rose up in defiance of their rebellion and, put, and, and in a sense, put it down. And that is why, the, and it was at that point that the good angels entered into beatitude. And it was at that point also that the evil angels fell and became demons. It was instant. It was instant. So the good angels who were in grace <clears throat> were not in glory. So St. Michael, who says, you know, Christu Deus, who is like God, which is what Michael means in, in, in Hebrew, he wasn't beholding the beatific vision when he said that. But he did behold the beatific vision afterwards, because that was his test. And that was the test of all of the other angels. And uh, the good. So there's a tradition that a third of the angels fell, based upon what uh, what the apocalypse talks about. A third of the stars of heaven came down when the, the dragon took them down with his tail when he fell. Um, it's not the defeated teaching of the church, but it's a, it's a standard uh, interpretation of, of of holy scripture on the point. Well, so yeah, you are listening to the Dehomine classroom and chat room here on the Crusade Channel, King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers. Brother Andre Marie is our teacher and instructor for these classes. We're in lecture number twenty-nine tonight. You can review the previous twenty-eight on my website at mikechurch.com under the menu tab, uh, Catholicism and then Philosophy of Perennis. And you can also subscribe to the RSS feed, which will feed the these recordings to you once per week as soon as uh, we process them and load them up into the feed. And the service right now is for free. Don't cost nothing. Uh, brother, what is on the latest episode of the Reconquest show tonight? Episode number 104? 
Yeah, 104, you got it, Mike. T tonight's show is called The Ends of the Mass and the Continuity of Religion. So I took uh, two subjects that I like to talk about and stuck them together. <laughs> um, the Four Ends of the Mass, um, Adoration, Thanksgiving, Reparation, Petition, uh, and um, the subject of the continuity of religion, which I did an earlier show on. So I'm showing how the four ends of the mass are something that fit into the continuity of religion and what the importance of those four ends of the mass are. And then I end with a little um, um, admonition on how being attentive to the four ends of the mass is something that we can use as the basis for a Christian civilization. When, we want, when, when, we, when, when we're founding our new Christendom, when we're establishing our new Christendom, which the Veritas Radio Network is, is attempting to do, um, we're going to have a society that, uh, that, that that's in a sense, socializes the four ends of the Mass. And I don't mean socialize the way Bernie Sanders would socialize it. <laughs> uh, I mean, it implements, implements those um, standards in society. Now, so it, it, I was actually sort of continuing a theme. When I was talking to Sister Maria Philomena in the previous show on Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. we, um, we, 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 uh, I brought up the point that if, if children were taught the value of Thanksgiving in the sense of giving thanks to God as well as gratitude to our fellow creatures, to, to other, other men, um, if, if, people, if children were taught the value of this, in light of the faith, they could see the value of it as um, a virtue, and they could see the proper place for manners, which teaches us to say thank you for things, right? Right. That in a Christian society where thanksgiving is part of the, the, the mass— and constant hymns of thanksgiving and, and, and the virtue of gratitude would be considered Christian standards by which we would approach God and our fellow creatures, that th this would sort of supernaturalize our dealings with other people and give us manners, proper manners. Right. The manners of Christendom. So, uh, having thought about that a little bit, I said, you know, that can be applied to all four of the ends of the Mass, adoration, of course, we don't adore the creatures, but I go into that. You know, the equivalent, which is owed to a creature, would be, say, respect or reverence or veneration, even. Um, so, uh, uh, but but if we have a if we have a culture who has as its cultus, as its religious cult, rendering adoration, thanksgiving, reparation, petition to the All Holy Trinity, then we have a culture that also has woven into its warp and woof. Uh, the, the, these these things which come in a sense come naturally to us because we practice them regularly and we would have a society that values um, uh, graciousness that values manners that value and I don't mean you know uh, highfalutin type manners I don't mean sort of baroque manners you I don't, mean you don't mean etiquette manners you don't mean etiquette I don't mean no I don't mean the the you know the the baroque refinements of etiquette. I mean just good old manners, right? showing respect, showing reverence, uh, uh, saying thank you, saying please, you know, expressing genuine gratitude, um, which St. Thomas says is a simple matter of justice. If you're not thanking your benefactor, you're being unjust. So um, all, of these, all of these things would be the marks of a Christian society. And, and then the, the Christendom that we want to establish here in North America um, we we would have a society that would have those as sort of normal standards of human behavior. Interesting. Brother, uh, adoration, thanksgiving, what's the third? 
Reparation. Reparation and then petition. Or sometimes they say atonement, but yeah, reparation. Okay. For sin. And of course, that won't exist in heaven because that's all done with. <laughs> Sin's all, all over. Yes, we only uh, need these in the, in, in the temporal world, the corporeal world. Yeah, and it's, yeah, during, during time. But in the end, when time is no more, as the apocalypse says, we won't have to worry about that stuff. It's already it's, it's taken care of. So, yeah, so that's that's what the show is about. Okay, so then uh, Ortekel, three before that, just a, a quick thing. Though, I have a friend who has a, uh, a fascinating theory about one of these uh, topics uh, that you could tie into the angels. And he says that Lucifer, the leader of the gang of rebels, uh, was the first tranny mammy that he basically wanted to transition. And <laughs> because he wanted to be God. So he, and, and he was denied a transition. Well, maybe God ultimately did transition him to some kind of hideous creature beast that, uh, that the, the, the remaining angels aren't. But um, he has a very good explanation. It's all based on uh, Old Testament scripture, so I just thought I'd drop that in. Okay. On so the, he identified as God. Yes. Uh, on to Article 3. On to Article 3. Actually, to add something to that, uh, Mike, not only did he do that for himself, he lied. And part of the lie that he told to Eve was that, when, when, remember, when Eve talked to the demon, which he should have done, and Adam should have been right on it and said, shut up, Eve. Let me handle this. Um, the, 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 he lied to Eve. He said to Eve, why can't you eat of the fruit? She said, God said, as if she's doubting him, God said that if we do, uh, the day that we do, uh, uh, we will, um, uh, let's see, I'm, try I'm trying to remember the, the, the curse that came that God said, um, we will die the death. That's it. We will die the death. And the, 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 the serpent lied and said, you will not die the death, but you will be as gods, as gods. knowing good and evil. <clears throat> so he gave them a false promise that they will be as gods. The funny thing, the ironic thing, is that God really wanted them to be as gods. God really did want them to be divinized, just as he did the angels. Only he wanted it done according to his plan, not according to Satan's plan. Satan's plan was to usurp, to grasp, grasp something that didn't belong to him. God's plan was that if you, if you love me, if you love my will, part of the reward will be to be divinized so that you will actually know me and become like me. Okay, and this isn't, you know, when we talk about divinization or deification, we're not Mormons here. Right. The Mormon concept of it is very, very different because they think that God was a man initially. It's, 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 it's like mythology. But God really did plan to make us like gods, only not according to Satan's criteria, according to his own. Mm. And that, that's, the, that's, the real, that's the real devilry of the lie, if you'll pardon the, the, the devil, language. The devilry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the real devilry of the lie, is that God really did want, want Adam and Eve to be divinized, and the devil knew it because that's what he hated, remember? Right. Because he, he had this economy of salvation for men explained to him, and he said, no. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to serve one of those mutant creatures where you, the second person, take that nature and become a mutant. I'm not going to, I'm not going to adore that. I'm not going to serve that. And I'm certainly not going to serve some woman 
as my queen. And that's when he fell. And thinking about it just from another point of view, the devil then, the serpent then, could, could be said to have tempted Eve or have told Eve again that she could be the first transitioner. She could be a tr <laughs> yeah. She could be a tranny mammy. You see, that's why yeah. I keep saying. And and and, and yeah, and I mean, and he and he and he was telling her they could transition into in, into into divinity. Into divinity, I mean, it, was, it was a lie. It was a lie. So, brother, and that's what they have in common. The devil likes to lie. The devil also hates. By the way, the devil also hates physical procreation. So, 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 so brother talks about uh, in the book, The Everlasting Man, how the diabolical sects. Like the, the worshippers of Moloch, the the the, the people on uh, in, in in Carthage, as well as the modern diabolists, as well as witches all throughout Europe, they hated procreation. They hated infants. They sacrificed infants. It's the cult of Planned Parenthood. It still exists. And and that guy that Michael Hitchborn interviewed multiple times, yes. the, the, the the witch, the the, uh, the the satanic priest that converted. He talked about having a, a, a human sacrifice at Planned Parenthood clinics. Well, I totally believe it. You read about that. I totally, I totally, I totally believe it. But <clears throat> I just conclude with this: uh, on no, that, they had satanic rites at Planned Parenthood clinics. Right, and I, and I would just conclude with this: and this is kind of the origin of my uh, the demons are ascended. They come for the kids. They're not going to take no for an answer. I kind of got that from Hitchburn in my conversation with him back in early October, because he's the one that, that told me uh, the, the the details of the story of the temptation and the fall, and that you know they wanted to transition uh, in, into being uh, uh, into uh, a divinized state, as you said, brother, and that if you think about what it is that we are seeing right in front of our very eyes uh, here today, uh, all these people that are that are fantasizing about this body that they don't have, but they're told. That they that they can't have this nature or uh, being that a male nature and a female nature are well they're an accident of a human nature okay but that they can achieve this accidental status uh, of, of human nature um, this is a diabolical urge it is the diabolical urge which is why I say if you don't see and maybe I just need for Hitchburn and you to get together and explain this in more detail if you don't see the connection here, that this is the make, I, I joked about it in my pile of prep today, brother. I said, what all these tranny mammies are being convinced to do or what, well, what they're doing is basically they're taking a line from Trump and they're putting it on diabolical steroids. Make the fall great again. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the devil hates human nature. So if you hate human nature... Uh, he hates human nature on two scores. He hates human nature in itself, and he hates it because of its supernatural finality. So what did he do? In the fall, he screwed it up by, by messing up the supernatural finality. And ever since then, he's been continuing to work on that by trying to drag souls to hell. But he also attacks it in its very nature by attacking procreation. So this is a perfectly diabolical thing. I mean, you know, your average contraceptor and your average uh, pr promoter of abortion doesn't realize that he's a practical Satanist, but he is. He is. Uh, <clears throat> you've talked about it. You've done shows on it. So um, you, you, 
You don't need to convince me. Uh, brother, we have like a just, uh, just under tw uh, 13 minutes, so perhaps okay, we should so, go on to so questions. So let's proceed to Article 3. Article 3. Okay, whether the angels were created in grace. Okay, so here we d d dial down to, to a, an even lo a, a lower, a more fundamental question. So do they need to, you know, whether they created a beatitude? No. Did they need grace? Yes. Now the next question is, were they created in grace? In other words, is grace natural to them? Which, is, which actually, that's, that's a contradiction. So, he, so here's how he answers that. On the contrary, Augustine says in De Civitate Dei, on the city of God, who wrought the good will of the angels, who save him who created them in, with his will, that is, with the pure love wherewith they cling to him, at the same time building up their nature and bestowing grace on them. So that, that's the money quote. Building up their nature and bestowing grace on them. So St. Augustine is talking about two motions of God. One in which he creates them and gives them a name, Nature, the second which we, in which he elevates them by grace. I answer that, although there are conflicting opinions on this point, some holding that the angels were created only in a natural state, while others maintain that they were created in grace, yet it seems more probable and more in keeping with the sayings of holy men that they were created in sanctifying grace. For we see that all things which in the process of time, being created by the work of divine providence, seed-like, uh, were produced, excuse me, were produced by the operation of God, were created in the first fashioning of things according to seed-like forms, as Augustine says, such as trees, animals, and the rest. By the way, seed-like forms, meaning that they were created to have their own seed within them. So the trees were created, and, and, and Genesis makes a big deal about this, they, they, they had their own seeds animals and men, too, have their own seeds in them, right? And we don't need to go into that, but they do. Uh, such as trees and animals and the rest. Now it is evident that sanctifying grace bears the same relation to beatitude as the seed-like form in nature does to the natural effect. Hence, um, John 1 John 3, 9, grace is called the seed of God. As then, in Augustine's opinion, it is contended that the seed-like forms of all natural effects were implanted in the creature when corporally created. So straight away from the beginning, the angels were created in grace. In other words, he's arguing from the fact that the seed in that creature was put in that creature to reach its perfection. So too, the seed was put in man and the angels to, to reach their perfection. Therefore, they were created in grace. Now, we have to say that if they were created in grace... That's not the same as saying that grace is natural to them. That's not the same because, as St. Thomas emphasizes heavily in this section of the Summa, grace stands in, 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 in the middle state between nature and glory. So you have nature, then you have grace, then you have glory. Grace is what leads the nature to glory, but grace is absolutely necessary. So when even if the angels were actually created in grace. It was two motions of the divine action that made it happen. God created the angel with the angelic nature, with all of its proper perfections, and immediately elevated it in grace, which is the same that he did to man. He created Adam in grace, but he didn't create him so that grace was natural to him. Grace was always supernatural to Adam.
So he created Adam, and by a, a second motion, which was immediate, I mean, they, they happened virtually at the same time, but it was two distinct motions, man was elevated into, into sanctifying grace. So too with the angels, and that's the burden of this, of this Article 3 here. Mm. Question, was it 62? On the perfection of the angels. So that's it. That's that's all of our um, that's all of our material. I don't know if we have questions or if we want to go back and look at some of the um, some of the objections and responses. Well, um, I don't have any questions, but I would entertain any in the chat room, which you could access if you're listening online at uh, mikechurch.com. That's my website at mikechurch m i k e c h u r c h dot com. And you will find the uh, Dahomene chat page uh, by looking for it at the top of my homepage or by going to the menu and looking for the, uh, the Catholicism menu item. And then under that, Philosophy of Penenius, and then look for Dahomene live classroom and chat room homepage. And that's where you'll find the chat on that page. Uh, Tom Hel uh, Heldon or uh, Heidenfelder, I'm sorry, just checked into the room and says he's a little late. Tom, we've been covering the um, uh, the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas in uh, the, it's the Primus, the Prima Summa, right, brother? Um, he, let's see. It, we're actually in the uh, first yeah, part. It's Prima. Parts, yeah. And it's question number 62 on the perfection of the angels in the order of grace and glory. And we've been covering where Brother Francis covered in his lecture, lecture number 29, which is uh, Article 1, where whether the angels were created in beatitude. Article 2, whether an angel needs grace in order to turn to God. And Article 3, whether the angels were created in grace again. Okay, Mike. We have a special request from from Jaswell. Yes. Um, are, can we can we cover the objections for Article Two? So since he was nice enough to ask, why don't we just why don't we go ahead and and, and do what he do what he requests? Absolutely. Sure. So the objections for Article Two. Remember, Article Two is whether an angel needs grace in order to turn to God. Objection one. It would seem that the angel has no need of grace in order to turn to God, for we have no need for grace for that which we can accomplish naturally. But the angel naturally turns to God because he loves God naturally, as is clear from what has been said. Therefore, an angel did not need grace in order to turn to God. So immediately you should think, well, wait a minute. Loving God, we can love God different ways. I can love God, naturally speaking, by, by lo lo loving the concept of what God is, by loving the notion of the divinity. But then there's a supernatural love of God that's distinct from that, and that's going to be the basis of of the uh, reply, if I'm remembering right. Oh, I am. Okay, reply to objection one. The angel loves God naturally, so far as God is the author of his natural being. And remember, the angels have no no you know they they have they they can intuit truth directly, so they don't need to be wondering about these things, speculating. So as far as they know, God is the author of the natural being. They love him. But here we are speaking of turning to God so far as God bestows beatitude by the vision of his essence. So in other words, that higher love, which we would call uh, in humans theological charity, that love is something that's, that's, that's uh, supernatural. Okay, so objection two. 
Uh, further, seemingly we need help only for difficult tasks. Now, it was not a difficult task for the angel to turn to God, because there was no obstacle in him to such turning. Therefore, the angel had no need of grace in order to turn to God. That's a little bit more abstract, I think. So, how does he answer this one? Reply to Objection 2. A thing is difficult which is beyond the power, and this happens in two ways. Uh, okay, this gets a little bit more involved. Okay. Uh, first of all, because it is beyond the natural capacity of the power. Thus, if it can be attained by some help, it is said to be difficult. But if it can in no way be attained, then it is impossible. Thus, it is impossible for a man to fly. In another way, a thing may be beyond the power, not according to the natural order of such power, but owing to some intervening hindrance, as to mount upwards is not contrary to the natural order uh, of the motive power of the soul, because the soul, considered in itself, can be moved in any direction, but is hindered from so doing by the weight of the body. Consequently, it is difficult for a man to mount upwards. Uh, to be turned to his ultimate beatitude is difficult for man, both because it is beyond his nature, so in other words, it's impossible, and because man is a hindrance from the corruption of his body and the infection of sin. But it is difficult for an angel only because it is supernatural. So he goes into detail contrasting the angelic nature with human nature, but the bottom line is, uh, yes, it, it is difficult to him because it's impossible for him to turn to God in a supernatural way by his own nature. Um, and then, do we have time for Objection 3, Mike? Well, yeah, we have time, but I would just, uh, uh, again, you can kind of, in that reply, but it is hindered, the soul, is hindered from doing so by the weight of the body. Consequently, it is difficult for a man to mount upwards. Uh, this is another one of these uh, points from St. Thomas. Of course, he lived at a time long before the Reformation, or, the, or more properly termed the Revolt, that... Uh, man needs the grace of God. He can't supply it on his own. And I think that's one of the things that we run into with uh, the people that we meet that have questions and objections about uh, certain tenets of the faith. Well, I could do it on my own. I don't, I don't need to do that. Well, no, you can't. You actually need grace. God needs to provide it to you, so you kind of need to ask for it. Um, now, maybe it is, brother. <laughs> I don't want to get too deep into this. Maybe it is that if you ask once, you get it. But that would seem to me that St. Thomas is clearly pointing you in the direction that, no, you kind of have to cooperate, and you need to ask for that grace. You, yeah. you, you, you at least need to be willing to accept it. And to be willing to accept it and knowing you don't have it, to me, is a, hum a humble man would say, well, gosh, 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 God, will you give me some? <laughs> Yes, yes. So the the life of prayer, I mean, all of the Catholic uh, spiritual writers will tell you that prayer is necessary for salvation because prayer is what disposes you for grace. We have to dispose ourselves to grace. Okay, let's do, let, let's do objection three. We have time. Okay, further, to turn oneself to God is to dispose oneself for grace. Hence it is said, turn ye to me and I will turn to you, from Zechariah. But we do not stand in need of grace in order to prepare ourselves for grace. For thus, we should go on to infinity. So he's using the old, you know, uh, reductio uh, ad, infin ad infinitum. 
Therefore, the angel <clears throat> did not need grace to turn to God. That's a really sophistical argument. Um, so he responds to this by saying, every movement of the will towards God can be termed a conversion to God. And so there is a threefold turning to God. The first is by the perfect love of God. This belongs to the creature enjoying the possession of God. So he's, he's arguing in descending order. So that possession of God is in the beatific vision. Uh, and for such conversion, consummate grace is required. So grace that is fulfilled. The next turning to God is that which merits beatitude. And, in, and for in this sense is required habitual grace, which is the principle of merit. And that's what we have in this life. Huh? Right. Sanctifying grace. Um, and, and then um, the third conversion is that whereby a man disposes himself so that he may have grace. For this, no habitual grace is required, but the operation of God. So God's actual grace operating in us um, uh, uh, prepares us to, to, to be uh, brought into to sanctifying grace. Who draws the soul towards himself, according to Lamentations 5.21, convert us, O Lord, unto thee, and we shall be converted. And by the way, this is in the divine office every day. So St. Thomas would have actually sung this every night in Compline, as I am going to do in about an hour when we go to pray Compline. Okay. Converti nos Deus solitaris nostere averti iram juam anobis. That's in the divine office from Lamentations. Hence, it is clear that there is no need to go on to infinity. So there are different kinds of grace um, uh, that prepare us for, for grace. But yes, the angels need grace in order uh, to be turned to God. And that's all the time we have.